Well, welcome everyone to your Enneagram Coach, the podcast. We are excited to have our podcast on YouTube. So I hope that you'll go over there, watch the video, like it, and subscribe to our channel. Well, today we have a very special guest, and we're going to continue our conversation about our new book called More Than Your Number, which is going to be released on Wednesday, uh, September 20th. So real close. And we're going to talk in the book about EIP or Enneagram Internal Profile. And today we get to do that with a wonderful type four, Dr. Russell Moore. So we're really excited to kind of dive in and to hear from Dr. Moore on what it's like to be a type four, but not just a type four, but how all of his EIP parts come together. So Jeff, can you just give us just a real quick, brief overview of EIP before we dive in? Yeah, well, many of us have all shared this idea of what's going on in our hearts, that there are many parts to us, and we're not just in one Enneagram type. So if you want to know about more EIP, you can go back to episode 112, uh, where we explain the premise of our new book, More Than Your Number. Um, but if you want to know explicitly about type fours, you can also listen to the episode 126, where we do a deep dive into the type fours EIP. But what is EIP? Well, have you ever said something like this? Part of me wants to do this. Or perhaps a spouse has said, wow, man, I really saw a different part of you in that situation. Mm -hmm. Or maybe with the Enneagram, you've always felt that you resonated with several numbers and uh, <laughs> rather than just one number and all the stereotypes that go on it. Well, EIP helps to capture these things about all the unique parts of how we show up in life. And to start each type has six connecting parts. So there's our main type that has two parts. That is our wounded and beloved child. And then there are the connecting types. These are the two wings, the numbers that are adjacent to each Enneagram type, as well as the two paths. And so we'll talk through how those paths, although we've been taught that it's just healthy or unhealthy, that maybe it's a little bit more than that. Mm -hmm. Well, by using EIP, become, we become actually more aware of where our heart's at in relationship to the truth of the gospel. Are we trying to live independently apart from the cross? Or are our hearts in line with the truth of the gospel, the way that Paul speaks to Peter and Galatians, that actually there's a way in which we can lead our hearts back into relationship or back in alignment with the truth of the gospel through the work of the Holy Spirit, which will have its overflow not only in how we live on our sense of calling, but it will also live out in our relationships with with our family members and with those that we work with. So today we've got our special guest who's also an Enneagram Type 4. Uh, Russell Moore is a public theologian at Christianity Today and a director of Christianity Today's Public Theology Project. He's also the author of several books, including The Courage to Stand, Facing Your Fear Without Losing Your Soul, which sounds like it was written for a Type 6, um, <laughs> and Onward Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. He lives here in Nashville with his wife and his five sons sons, uh, which uh, on a side note, there was a moment where our kids went to school together. Well, I thought that, but I don't think it was actually accurate. Oh, is that right? Uh, yes. Well, we thought... I, I brought it up and I was like, oh, I, I think our kids got it wrong. So, <laughs> awesome. But we live in the same area. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, Dr. Moore, thank you so much for joining us. Um, <clears throat> we're so glad that you're here. And you've actually been a real gift to us, Dr. Moore, because you made a couple of short videos about the Enneagram when it was really, really popular. <laughs> and I remember your sober-minded statement. Yeah. If you're too into personality tools, don't use it. And if you don't want to use it, don't use it. But I found it helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us a little bit about, you know, when you heard about the Enneagram, how you found it, and then how you landed on being a type four. Uh, well, I don't really remember how I first started uh, hearing okay. about it, but uh, but I do know that it was, uh, it was helpful doing some of the um, uh, – testing uh, to, to sort of uh, figure this out. It was helpful for me, not so much in terms of my own number, um, okay. but it mm -hmm. was in terms of understanding other people mm. uh, because mm -hmm. I would have people that I work with or, or that I love that would respond to things just very, very differently than, yeah. than I would. And it helped me to have a category for mm. how to get that. And also, um, in managing people, how to really tap into people's strengths, yeah, and um, that was it was a, 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 a this this was more intuitive than it was um, intentional, 
but uh, I had around me people with what I consider to be very complementary and different uh, mm-hmm. personality types. So mm-hmm. uh, for the last, I don't know, 15 years, the, the two uh, closest people working with me were an eight and a three. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and, and I would, uh, even before I really had a category to, to frame it, I would know there are certain things that would drive me crazy <laughs> that are really yeah. enlightening <laughs> to one of them and vice versa. And so it, yeah. it just helped with that. Absolutely. That's fun. Now, it seems like uh, I'm, were, were you intentionally looking for these, not necessarily these Enneagram types, no. but these types of people or this providentially these were the people you hired for your team? Well, a little bit of both. I, I, uh, I knew that there were certain gift sets that I didn't have uh, and mm. that uh, and that we could work together on. It was over time that I started to really see that those it wasn't just a matter of gift set. It was mm-hmm. also a matter of uh, of personality in ways that really helped me to sort of um, translate myself better and also to sort of understand. I mean, for instance, my close colleague who's a three mm-hmm. is is probably the platonic ideal of threeness. He's someone who... <laughs> He sits uh-huh. down every Sunday night and and sort of maps out the schedule uh, for his week. And yep. when uh, when we would be facing some sort of decision, he would have a document that would have here are all of the potential ways that we could go. And here are the pros and the cons of each of them. Well, that was was and is uh, really, really uh, helpful to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I had another uh, very close colleague who was an eight who really uh, did not mind confrontation and mm-hmm. didn't mind drama. But in both these cases, they were very healthy. So yep. this was somebody who didn't mind confrontation, but he didn't love it. He didn't seek it out. He wasn't, sure. he wasn't enjoying it and, and mm-hmm. harsh. So uh, that 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 turned out to be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, Bethany, why don't you start off with just giving us an overview of Type Four? Yeah, I think what I'll do is we'll do an overview of Type Four, but also then add a little bit of the wounded and beloved child, and kind of just dive into the whole four space there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Type Fours primarily live in like imaginations and feelings deep down. They really have this idealized self that they envision themselves to be and want to be, and this. This idealized self is usually really creative, emotionally adept, and universally desired. Um, and for them, they feel like they're kind of coming up short in some form or fashion. And so th- they tend to feel that there's something defective and flawed inside them, and they're longing and striving to gain this idealized self that's that's inside them. And so what they are usually doing is focusing on what is missing and what they're longing for. But again, they already, but they feel they've already experienced somewhere and somehow this, this idealized self. And they're just really trying to get back to that place. That longing is there. The fours have so many amazing strengths. They have rich emotions, deep understanding of what they're feeling inside. They have great intuition. They're super creative. Um, They know how to emotionally support others, especially when others are suffering they can stay with that person for a very, very long time. Uh, now, the core motivations are really what we always want to focus in on when we're when we're looking at a type. So this is why they feel, think, feel, and behave in particular ways. So for the type four, we want to look at their core motivations, but then how the rest of their parts, their wings, and their Enneagram paths also affect uh, their main type. So for the type four, their core fear is being inadequate, emotionally cut off, plain, mundane, defective, flawed, and insignificant. But they have the core desire of being unique, special, and their most authentic self. Now, they struggle with the core weakness of envy. And this is where they feel that there's something tragically flawed or missing inside them, but that others possess these qualities that they lack. Now, they have the core longing, what their heart longs to hear is, is you are seen and loved for exactly who you are, special and unique. Now, when we talk about the wounded child, we're talking about that part of our heart that is super vulnerable and tender. It's the part that was with us while we were children. 
And it had to deal with trauma and sin in the world, and it just did the best that it could uh, to take care of who we were in that moment. And so for the type four, they longed, again, to be seen for exactly who they were and loved for that unique self. And with those longings and feelings and passions that were deep down, a lot of times they felt very misunderstood. They actually felt disconnected from those around them because of that misunderstanding. They didn't really, at times, feel like they saw themselves mirrored in their parents, and so they couldn't quite understand, is there something wrong or flawed within me? Um, and so they believed, well, I'm not sure if people are going to love you know, me if I mirror them, so I'm going to find this unique part of my heart and just show it to the world and let them see that part. But the wounded child often believes um, that they are too much or not enough. And this then starts this cascading of lots of deep feelings. Um, we almost call it like a waterfall of emotions that feels like no one is going to understand the real depths of who I am. And it can feel very lonely. And so even as an adult, the type four longs to hear you are loved and seen for exactly who you are, special and unique. But what's the beautiful thing is when we move into the beloved part of the type four, we'll see so many amazing characteristics come out because they know and believe and trust that they are fully satisfied in Christ, that Christ sees them fully. I mean, he created them and he loves what he creates. And so they feel this overflow of joy and satisfaction deep down. And they they begin to know who they are and whose they are, that spirit-led self. That's the beloved part of their heart. And this feeling of shame starts to change into feeling like they belong. It's here where they're able to bring about the best of their emotions, bring out the best of their unique gifting and callings, and to literally bless the world in a new and creative space um, a place that others really might struggle to actually go because it feels too big or too emotional, but they're actually able to go there with and lead people in that space. And so their beloved uh, child part might say something like, I am not too much, nor am I less than others. God created me in such a beautiful way that I am part of a bigger story, a beautiful tapestry that he is weaving together. And because of him, I know and relish in the fact that I belong. So Dr. Moore, I love just to hear as we talk about the description of the type four, both just in general, but also wounded and beloved, what parts resonate with you and why? We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90-minute sessions, and there's eight of them. Plus, you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. Well, that that resonates with me, although I... I sometimes never feel as much of a four when I'm around friends who are also fours mm -hmm. who seem to be um, more four than I am. Yeah. And, and, uh, so are, are, they, are they more emoting? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. So, I, I, mean, I don't think they're more emoting maybe inside, but they're mm -hmm. definitely much more comfortable yes. emoting on the outside. And, and so maybe – you know, well, with, with people who are, um, you have to be pretty close in uh, yes. to to really see 
the that part. sort of what's going on. In, in <laughs> yes. With, with me, but, but not with some friends of mine, which is, you know, it's good. Well, but. And just to kind of let people know, and even for yourself, so there's a, a subset called instinctual subtypes, and there's three types for every type. And the counter type to the four probably is you, and this is the self-preservation four, and they're called tenacity. And they actually experience all these same feelings internally, but they don't show them outwardly. Like you said, it takes someone that's really close to them um, for them to kind of reveal that. It's not that they're trying to hide it. They just are very tenacious and they're able to push through life, even though they have a lot of these feelings and internal um, ups and downs that are going on, on the inside. Whereas there's other subtypes of four that are very much showing what's happening on the inside. So I think that's really good that you said that because your subtype, most likely, we haven't sat here and discussed it, but your subtype is the counter type, which means you don't quite look like the type four that we necessarily read about, but you're experiencing some of those same things internally. Does that yeah, sound I right for that, you? I think that's right. Yeah, I think yeah. that's true. Good. So with the type four, what, what parts really resonate? Like even with the wounded child and the beloved child, how do you see those two sides playing out um, in your life? Well, a uh, part of it is the, the role of imagination. That's mm -hmm. uh, very important to me and always has been. And it's one of the ways that I, um, connect to health, but it's also one of the ways that I can be unhealthy. I can, mm -hmm. can live in the imagination and particularly in terms of, um, in terms of longing, the way that that shows up, I think mostly for me is in terms of nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And, um, and one of the things I have a, a friend who said to me one time, he said, you know, part of uh, one of your big flaws is that you have this nostalgic view where you almost go in the mirror image of bitterness and resentment. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have a problem with bitterness and resentment, but it's not because mm -hmm. of level of sanctification necessarily. It's just because <laughs> uh, what I tend to do is to remember all of the warm and nostalgic mm -hmm. uh, things about any person or situation and kind of have those uh, in amber. And so I sort of have the imaginative uh, reality back there. And I have yes. to remind myself uh, of what's really there. And, um, mm -hmm. and, and so that's, that's something that, that perpetually comes up. Uh, yeah. Dr. Moore, was that just part of uh, how you related to family in order to stay connected with family was maybe overcoming uh, a lot of difficulty to, and then remembering the good things about them? Um, I, th I think it probably was, but, but maybe not so much with family as church family. Mm. Uh, oh, and okay. so I, I have, um, I had in many ways a really, really good uh, home church with, mm -hmm. with a lot of problems, but, mm. but, a, a really good home church to which I'm really appreciative and saw some extraordinary things in some of the, the people there. But mm -hmm. it was also really disconcerting because I was in a Bible Belt culture that I could sort of see behind the curtain. Uh, okay. and, and it was alarming uh, to me as a child and as a, an adolescent, especially, and as mm -hmm. a young adult, to see the... Um, to see what often seemed to be play acting, mm. um, and not just play acting, but play acting that's covering up something dark. Yeah. Um, and, and that so was So this has been a particular gift for you for many years. Yeah. And it's, it's, <laughs> there was uh, someone who's, uh, who's kind of worked with, um, worked with people, uh, kind of a, a consultant, uh, guys worked with. Uh, leaders for years and years and years. And he said, you know, you have a superpower that's also a real problem. And that, <laughs> is, <laughs> right. yeah. and that is that you can sort of intuitionally get a vibe on yeah. people pretty much immediately. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but what happens when you have that? And so there, there are all sorts of things where I will have this and I can look back over my life. I'll have this 
gut intuition that says this is fake. This isn't, Mm -hmm. this isn't real. And what I've noticed is in almost every case that turned out to be right. Yeah. But I would be saying, you know, I'm the only one who seems to be seeing this or noticing this. So it must just be me. And I would kind of over <laughs> compensate for that in 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 a lot of ways that, yeah. that that sometimes can lead to a kind of vertigo because mm. you're thinking, wait a minute, this situation that I'm in seems crazy or seems corrupt, mm-hmm. but no one else seems to to see it, and so maybe I'm just cynical. Mm. And you know, then when I look back, I can say, well, my problem was not what I thought it was. I wasn't cynical. I was mm. the opposite of uh, mm-hmm. cynical. I was too, uh, I was not trusting. So when, when I look back o- over my life, I can see all sorts of times where my mind was wrong. And mm. I can see all sorts of times where my heart was wrong. But I can find very few times where my gut was wrong. Interesting. Um, yeah. at, at least huh. at first. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Dr. Moore, you've been walking through a a very uh, difficult season over the last few years in your relationship to the church in one sense. Uh, And it seems like as I've seen your public writing on this, that there were some intuitional things Mm -hmm. that you were seeking to have conversation about, and yet were facing betrayal and cover-up. I mean, what was that like for you to walk through that as a type four? Well, I think I think part of it is that uh, I have uh, friends and close colleagues who really do, and I'm not talking about sort of your quarrelsome kind of a uh, internet troll or something like that, but but who <laughs> are are energized by conflict, mm-hmm. um, it, it, and in some ways, in the best possible ways. So it's sort of like conflict happens. It's called arms. It's, you know, there's something enlivening uh, about that for them. It's not the case for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's especially not the case when, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of what, and I don't think I'm alone in this. I think a lot of people are are facing this, but there's a sense of um, building an identity uh, around a particular people, a particular uh, sort of tribe, mm-hmm. and then seeing uh, seeing over a long period of time uh, what's actually there, and and yeah. uh, and covering you start to realize some of the people that I respected and that taught me. Um, didn't really believe, I won't say they didn't believe what they said they believed because maybe they didn't believe what I thought they were telling me, what Uh I thought they were teaching me. Um, And so that's, that's, yeah, I'm I'm just not the kind of person who really enjoys Mm -hmm. um, that, that sort of a situation. For instance, I, I have friends who really get a kick out of um, when they're sort of attacked on yeah. social media or, you know, a YouTube video or an internet or something like that. I never even see that stuff yeah. because I know mm. that's not going to, it's not going to do for me what it does for them. What it does right. for yeah. them is to say, uh, yeah, I'm, somebody's really, uh, really hearing what I'm <laughs> saying. I'm going to double down on it. That's, that's not what motivates me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, Beth, being the face of your Enneagram coach, sometimes comes under scrutiny. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a type nine. I'm the peaceful culminator. I do not want that. Yeah. Uh, Yes. But there's a heart to want to win people, to want to make peace, to seek mutual understanding, but that becomes incredibly difficult. So that starts just the downward mm-hmm. spiral of uh, all the different feelings that are associated with well, it. I think this is a great segue to start to kind of unpack a little bit further EIP. So we talked about your main type being a type four and the wounded child and the beloved child. Um, but if we unpack it a little further, there's four more connecting parts to your type four. So the two wings on either side of your main type. So the three and the five, 
play a significant role in your life, um, maybe at different times and at different amounts, but they do influence uh, the type four that you don't become these types, but they influence. So let's just take a look at type three to begin with and what it's like as a type three with a wounded child when it's following the wounded child or the beloved child. So the three is really looking for admiration, accomplishments, prestige, um, but under the leadership of the wounded child, they'll probably do it at all costs. You know, they're willing to shape shift. They're willing to um, uh, make themselves look grand uh, and, and um, competitive better than they are. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to get that accomplishment, whatever that accomplishment is. Um, now, when the beloved child part of the heart comes in, you know, in line, it helps the four in different ways. It's going to bring the ability to be the greatest cheerleader to others. Like, hey, we can do this. Let, let me show you how we can accomplish this. Let me come alongside you. Um, they're also able to set out plans and resources to make things happen. But this can be actually a pretty tricky um, wing for the type five because the type, the type four. I'm sorry, the type four, because um, the three is okay with not being authentic and shape-shifting to have a certain image, whereas the four is like, oh, no, no, no. We are going to be authentic at all costs. And so when the, the two are kind of working together, it can be a little battle that is happening inside. And I feel can feel very conflictual. So just kind of curious, um, how and when do you experience the three part of your heart showing up? Well, I, I think uh, in in many ways. I mean, if if I just look back at uh, my life and, and and sort of see what I was doing at different stages of of life, uh, mm-hmm. there, there's definitely a lot of threeness there. I mean, I was <laughs> I was running a congressional campaign uh, communications office at 19, and wow. you know, that's sort of, <laughs> just weird, uh, but. That's uh, amazing. That, but that's uh, that sort of thing uh, definitely does. But also because the the conflict that you're talking about, one of the things that has always been um, most difficult for me emotionally mm-hmm. is when someone will ask me to be inauthentic uh, mm. as a as a strategy. So mm-hmm. there would be uh, something, for instance, that um, that that might be controversial, and someone would say, "Well, why don't you just apologize for that mm-hmm. to end the controversy?" And I, mm-hmm. I would say, "Well, I don't mind apologizing. I apologize all the time, but I, I can't apologize for that." Because if I say I'm sorry <laughs> for saying that, I'm lying, right, <laughs> and right. uh, and yeah, but it'll it'll make this particular problem go away. And I mm-hmm. I have great difficulty understanding that. And so the the very fact that um, the very fact of contemplating that uh, was always mm-hmm. very difficult uh, for me. And there's a lot of that that tends to and t- that tends to go on in my world in mm-hmm. uh in evangelical christianity which is to say um let's just find what people want us to say and right. say that so that we can move on to the next thing mm. and, and and maybe achieve the next uh i don't know a uh, rung on the yeah. ladder um mm-hmm. uh, uh, so forth and i can't do that i mean that's that's almost mm-hmm. physically painful. Mm-hmm. I would much, much rather be out of ministry and, <laughs> and mm-hmm. unemployed than I would to to see myself or to have my children see me as a as a mm-hmm. hack, as someone. Yeah. And maybe that's just because it because it was so alarming to see some of the things that I saw as a yeah. kid and to think. If that's the case, what if that's all this is? Yeah. And if absolutely. all this is, is just sort of a way for people to get political power or to uh, satisfy their sexual appetites or mm-hmm. to uh, make money or, or what, or to, or to maintain their, their uh, ethnic identity or whatever it is, then what that means is uh, that Jesus isn't there. Mm. And yeah. uh, Jesus 
being there is a, is a, it sounds sounds obvious, but is a big deal for me. And so yeah. it was. Uh, it's almost. Uh, it's looking through all of that. I can almost see a Darwinian, meaningless, uh, violent uh, universe mm. um, that I don't that I don't believe exists, and I don't want to exist. Yeah. And I think that's such a, a beautiful representation of a four because the fours are able, and especially the subtype that you have, tenacity, is no, we must be authentic and real, all of us. And we must lay down the truth and deal with the hard emotions or deal with the hard situations that are at hand. And though I don't want to sign up for that, I'm willing to do it for for the betterment of my own self, but also for others. And the fours can, can live in that hard space. Not that, again, that they want to choose it, but they can live in it. Whereas other people are like, I'm out, you know, mm-hmm. um, or that's too hard. Or why don't we just make it look better? Um, so I really just admire that integrity and the, the tenacity that it takes to do that. Um, well, let's dive into type five. So it's good. the other wing. And so fives are really kind of the observers in life, the innovators, they're curious, they're craving to learn more. Um, they fear that they're going to not have enough resources inside and it's going to lead to catastrophic depletion. So you'll find when the wounded part of the type five comes in line, they're going to become fiercely independent and kind of put up some strong boundaries to protect that inner reserve, to make sure that no one's invading it too much. And then they're going to feel that they need to sort out their emotions and their intellect in that time of privacy and to really kind of process what's going on. And they believe that their thoughts and emotions are truth. And so they want to lead through that truth, even if it might be false. And so the five really gets kind of tenacious in that. Um, But when the beloved child comes in line, they're going to combine both intellectual insights and emotional intuition, which is going to produce stunning original works that really blesses others. And I really feel like that's kind of what I'm hearing, you know, from you is that you're connecting both the intellectual knowledge that you've gained over the the years, but also the pursuit for authenticity and emotional uh, depthness to bring and bless others. So just kind of, you know, naming the five part, just a little bit, what really stands out the most for you? Well, uh, one of the things is that it's it's very difficult for me uh, in seasons of my life where I'm being overly scheduled uh, mm. in a way that I can't um, I can't process and work through things. But it's also really difficult when I go to the other extreme of that mm. um, because for me anyway. The way that I find out what's going on is by writing. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I will wow. write things and I, I don't even know that that's, what, uh, that that's what I'm thinking. That's how I process things. So I need a certain degree of, uh, of withdrawal to be able mm-hmm. to do that. I also need um, – it, it doesn't work though – when I find myself just sort of waiting for inspiration to strike in a way mm-hmm. in which I, I feel a certain way and therefore I write, instead it has to work the other way. I have to, mm-hmm. I have to write and then that's sort of bringing out yeah. uh-huh. those, um, those things. And, 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 that's, and that's a key part of, uh, that's a key part of you know, uh, everything that I do is trying to balance the both and Mm -hmm. of the imagination and the intellect of intuition and wisdom seeking and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But that requires, that requires a, a key balance in and of itself of doing that. So I can be really, if I am, um, if if someone is there are times when I have been really frustrated with uh, myself or or with my team at various times where I, I remember saying once to my wife, they think I'm a robot that, mm. you know, I, I just <laughs> just could. And it wasn't it wasn't them uh, sure. right, thinking right. that these were all things that that I had agreed to at the time. But I was realizing you can't. I can't be uh, 
constantly scheduled and do the stuff that I'm yeah. expected to do because what I do really does require um, a certain exploration of all of that in order yes. to find it. But it's also true that if I overcorrect for that, mm. um, then I'm going to be in, in a, I'm going to be disconnected in such a way that I, I no longer am in touch with the imagination because mm. a lot of what, uh, a, a lot of what the creative stuff comes out of mm-hmm. are out of, conversations and engagements and so forth that then uh, then there's time to reflect on right and then so if i have too much of one or the other it ends (laughs) up it ends up not being good yeah that's great because that is characteristic of fiveness is uh balancing between the two being curious about life i've heard five say like i'm i can talk with anyone about anything and at the same time, they can be looking for opportunities to get out of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. uh, they want to be engaged in learning, and then at times they want to be, they'd rather be with a book. Yeah. Um, and so, but that makes, and I, I loved hearing the idea that there's waiting for the moment of how to engage. Mm-hmm. Uh, fives are, can be very measured about when they're prepared to speak in a moment, to deliver a message. And being prepared for that moment, and part of that is just the daily writing and mm-hmm. journaling and uh, getting pen to paper. Yeah, and that's why I I often um, I'm often most effective when I find ways to subvert myself ahead of time, and um, you know one of those has to do with with the over scheduling. Uh, one of my colleagues said one time I used to do this for a while until I figured out what he was doing. He would have some. <laughs> Uh, speaking event or some some engagement, and he would say, "This is happening next week. Uh, w- would you want to do it?" And I would say, "No." Uh, and then he would say, "It's not really happening next week. It's happening a year from now. But if you're not a- at least interested in doing it next week, then you won't be a year from now. And I'm going to mm-hmm. <laughs> help you to to not do that. But on the other hand, you know, I started." a weekly newsletter, uh, largely because I knew that if people were expecting every Thursday to get this, that that would put the kind of pressure on me uh, to to do it uh, in a way. And that was, you know, it was really just sort of looking ahead and saying, I know what I know what you're going to try to do and I want to restrain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, let's jump kind of almost to the opposite kind of personality, which is connected to the four, which is the two. So we just talked about the five who, that is more isolated, but then the four is connected to two and we're now getting into the Enneagram paths. The two types are connected by lines to the four and the type two is very relational. They want relationships and friendliness. They want to know how people are doing and very generous with their time and talents. Um, now, the wounded part of the type two is going to feel the need to be needed, and they're going to create dependencies from others. So now, you know, this can look different in different people's seasons of life and, uh, you know, what they are doing in life. Um, but it could be dependencies on being uh, needed for help or their abilities or what they can offer the world. And if others aren't kind of asking for that, they might tend to manipulate the situation so that others do feel, oh, wait, I do need you. Um, and then the other thing is there's this push and pull with with fours is they kind of idealize relationships um, from afar, like, oh, this is going to be the greatest relationship. And then they kind of go after it. And then they, the person gets closer and like, wait a second, you got some warts and not quite what I thought. And so they kind of push. So it's this push pull mentality. Um, and it, the the uh, pull is the two. The two is like, I've got to have relationships. And the push can be the four of like, I'm not sure that's that's a bit much. Um, but the beautiful, healthy part of the two is when the four begins to recognize 
that not only do they have their own needs and taking care of their own needs, but they're seeing the needs of others and they're able to generously give all that they have from God and literally bestow it upon others without strings attached. They don't need anything in return. They don't need to be needed. They're able just to give out of this overflow of their heart because they feel filled up by Christ and what he has given. And so this generosity, this compassion, this love just freely flows, which also benefits the four yeah, for his emotions and recharges them in ways um, that they haven't really experienced before. So what is the type two? How does that land on you, the the wounded and the beloved parts? Well, my wife is a two. Uh-huh. And um, a- and I, you know, I have seen her uh, recovering from surgery, mm. uh, getting up and taking a meal to somebody because they <laughs> were recovering from surgery. And uh-huh. uh, it wow. just makes no sense. Yes. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't even, uh, she wouldn't even understand why that doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. but, yeah. I think, I think that there is a, um, I, I think that her need to be needed and mine are different. Right. And yes. that she, I think needs to be needed much more in kind of practical um, mm-hmm. ways of, of showing love. I think the way I need to be needed is um, in terms of, uh, I don't know. I, I remember there, there was a, a secular uh, journalist who said to me one time, um, because there had been several things that were happening uh, at that time in my denomination where I would kind of go in and fix things uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of behind the scenes in order to keep something terrible from happening. And he just said, well, how many times are you going to, how many times are you going to do this? And, wow. and, and I think part of that was just normal. Let's, we have to fix bad things from happening. And part of mm-hmm. that probably was, you know, this is how I, belong is yeah. that I'm going to serve you by um, by getting rid of, uh, by helping bad things to go mm. away or, or helping you to make better decisions that you're not going to regret later or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you experience it whenever, because I, I, I have seen and noticed your heart in seeking to help the church. Mm-hmm. Like it is a tremendous burden and vision that you are striving for and want to be part of the solution. What is it like for you whenever maybe that help or assistance is not accepted mm. or not valued? Well, I mean, sometimes I think, uh, sometimes I think what happens is a revealing of ways that, um, I mean, I think one of the things that we're all experiencing over the past several years is sort of a pulling back and seeing what's really there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what I have seen is that some people or some institutions that I had idealized were not what they seemed to be. Mm-hmm. And what I can what I can see looking back is that I should have known that Mm. and that there was a part of me that did know that, but that in many cases I was kind of trying to help people live up to an ideal Mm -hmm. that maybe I had for them that I needed them to be. That's not really who they were. Wow. And in, in that case, I think there's a, there's a moral component to that in yeah. which you know, one really does have to pay attention to the fact that there can be there can there can be a kind of loyalty mm-hmm. that imputes integrity in places where it's not there right. Uh, right. and and helps to work to make it seem like it's there mm. yeah because well, you I need can, it to be. And that's, I that's can certainly not. feel the tension. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. that intuitive sense that something's not right, yeah. but the desire to be loyal to the image, the, mag, the this uh, glittering image that we, maybe we've bought mm-hmm. into, mm-hmm. but then wanting to be of help in the restoration of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that 
that's a lot. That's the full gamut. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that gets us to the last part of the type four, which is the type one. And I hear a lot of type one in you, which is beautiful because type ones are sensible and ethical. They're responsible. They're serious and self-disciplined. Um, they really feel personally obligated to improve and reform the world. And they bring a sense of balance to the emotions of the type four. But when led by the wounded part of uh, the, the heart of the type four, this is where they can really start to focus on flaws, become judgmental, critical of others in the world uh, for not being perfect. And they can get very frustrated and disappointed. Um, and they can kind of show it through their body language by being maybe impatient or prickly um, and also can be very controlling, uh, seeing what's imperfect um, and just really honing in. Um, but when the beloved child is at the helm, they're going to be more emotionally balanced. It doesn't mean removing emotions, but they're balanced, they're objective, they're grounded, and they're able to look at the mundane tasks they usually don't want to do. And fours are able to steward their time and be responsible and disciplined and organized. And by doing that, they're able to then forge a path forward for the greater good of others with the emotions they have but also the ethics that they, they want to see accomplished. And I hear a lot of that through your story and would just love for you to expound more on how the type one part of your heart really comes to the forefront in a lot of instances and assist your type four. Well, I mean, I think one example of that would be I've spent a lot of my life working in areas of uh, orphan care Um and sort of calling people within the church to be involved in a uh, foster care system, to mm. when they're called uh, to to adopt, uh, to help uh, people who are adopting and those, those sorts of things. But like almost everything else, that came out of um, grappling with a flaw in me. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. uh, I mean, I, I was, um, when my wife had a uh, a burden to adopt, I said, well, I'm all for that, but let's wait until we have it. And the words that I used were, let's wait until we have children of our own first. Mm. And so in that process, what started to happen is I realized, what are the assumptions that I have mm. um, about the realness of biological children that doesn't apply to children who are adopted. And how does that line sure. up with scripture? And it didn't line up. So mm. I had to work myself through that and then worked to try to help other people who might be in the same situation uh, through it. In the same way, what That's I'm working beautiful. on mostly now is I realize I'm, I'm trying to talk to people who are in the situation I was in at 15 uh, mm -hmm. where I had to work myself through that and to help work them through that too. And yeah. Cause to, you, uh, you, you just submitted a manuscript, which I think is yeah. going is really, I, I said earlier, I was like, can I get my hands on that tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> or today actually? Yeah. yeah and, and, it, it, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that I can see the sort of counterfactuals of, um, of 15 year old Russell Moore that could have gone in a very, very different direction sure. if it hadn't been for just certain influences that were there at, at just the right time. Hmm. And so that's, that's, that's a lot of it, but, but there also has to be a, um, a sense of calibrating impatience without giving up. And just sort of yielding yes. to despair. And right. so I'll be talking about that, really talking to myself. Uh, yeah. Sometimes when, <laughs> sure. I'm, when I'm talking to people, for instance, with orphan care, there would be people who would say, I'm so frustrated because we've got all of these uh, foster care kids in our community and our church isn't doing anything. And I have to come in and say, well, you know, mm -hmm. it might be that your pastor's overwhelmed. And when and when you're saying, why aren't we doing anything? What he's hearing is, why aren't you doing anything? Mm -hmm. So yeah. maybe instead, let's take these small steps where you can say, here's what I can do. Will you bless that? Mm -hmm. And then you'll be able to see sometimes a change of heart happen as things go on. But that's, you know, that's that's really just coming out of the fact that I often have to sort of uh, talk myself into don't 
don't give a contrast between the ideal and nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dr. Moore, we are so grateful that you spent some time with us talking about your Enneagram type. There's so many uh, things that you speak to and to see this uh, personal side of you and how you've lived out your sense of calling with your family, mm-hmm. uh, with your work, uh, and um, yeah, how you've lived out your faith has been such a gift mm-hmm. uh, to us and to our listeners. We're so grateful for your time. And where Thank can people you. find you? Uh, Christianity Today uh, mm-hmm. is where, where I serve, or just at russellmore.com. Great, yeah. And you've got tons of incredible books and resources, and then this other book that's coming out. What what year is it coming out? Even It'll though you be just... in the spring, yeah. Okay. Okay, oh, good. Wow. Not too long. Yeah, that's yes. great. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes when you hand a manuscript, it can be a long yeah. time coming. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, awesome. It'll be timely. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, friends, if you found this uh, conversation helpful with Dr. Russell Moore and talking about type fours, uh, be sure to share this uh, episode with the type fours in your life. And uh, we'd love for you to personally experience this, where you can connect with one of our certified Enneagram coaches by finding a coach that fits you best at myenneagramcoach.com. We've got a directory of coaches all over the world that are ready to help you. And please pre-order our book, More Than Your Number, which releases very, very soon. It's right there. Uh, in fact, get one for your friend that uh, you know would love this Enneagram content that makes the Enneagram so easily accessible and personal for personal growth. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a game changer in the Enneagram space. So I can't wait for you guys to get a hold of that. But make sure that you join us next week where we have the privilege of interviewing one of my all-time favorite musicians and fellow Type 9, Ryan O'Neill. Also wow. known... I mean, you just put Ryan in the context of Nora Jones. Yep. Jack Johnson. Yep. Amos Lee. Toad Wet Sprocket. Toad... Is that Toad right? the Wet Sprocket. Toad the... Man. Dude. Dude, Ryan, good for you, bro. Wow, no. I mean, I literally <laughs> listen to Ryan's music on a daily basis. Sure. Like when I'm working, that is what I'm listening to. It's Ryan oh, O'Neill. That's true. I forgot about Which that. is actually sleeping at last. Uh, that's what he goes by. Um, so anyway, he has done a masterful job creating one song for all nine types. So if you have not heard those songs, you must go listen to his songs. Just type in sleeping at last Enneagram and you'll see his Enneagram songs. And when you listen to yours, you might want to be alone and have a couple of Kleenexes on hand because they are so masterfully well done. Um, but I can't wait to talk with Ryan next week um, and just to kind of hear about his journey with the Enneagram as well. And as always, please remember that the Enneagram reveals your need for Jesus, not your need to work harder. It is the gospel that transforms us. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for joining us.